Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. As to New Moon Rising, today I'll talk about a multifaceted main plot that includes action where Oz as the wolf is in danger and intense emotion for Willow, nesting dolls subplots that weave into the main narrative, a climax that happens after the action plot resolves, and layers of meaning and dialogue and gestures that intensify the characters and the audience's emotions here. There will be no spoilers until the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. New Moon Rising aired the first time on May 2, 2000. It was directed by James A. Contner and written by Marty Noxon. We start, as we should, with opening conflict. This is that conflict that draws the viewer into the story and might or might not relate to the main conflict. And here it does, not so much to the action plot, but to Willow's emotional arc or plot. Willow and Tara walk in the sun. They're talking about how Tara wants to get a cat, but Willow is more of a dog person. But Willow goes on, but I'm not like death to all cats. Tara makes sure Willow's not allergic. She wants her room to be Willow friendly. They link hands and Tara says she's excited about the Scooby meeting, but Willow tells her it'll probably be about just your garden variety disaster. At 1 minutes 27 seconds in, we cut to Buffy saying, Zippo, nothing's going on. Her kill count is way down. Giles is concerned and he thinks somehow Adam's involved. Willow keeps interjecting explanations to Tara, such as telling her that when it's quiet, they're usually worried because there's some extra evil brewing. Riley says the strange thing is the initiative is busy. Lots more captures, they have demons coming out of their ears, and Willow turns to Tara and says, that's a metaphor. Tara smiles and says, I got it, thanks. And Willow says, I'm overhelping, aren't I? Tara laughs, but Anya's bored with this meeting. And as Giles is telling her he doesn't appreciate her attitude, Oz appears in the doorway. Willow looks stunned. At 2 minutes 34 seconds in, Oz says, hey, and we go to credits. What an amazing hook. When we come back, Willow, who is still looking stunned, says, Oz. Tara looks at Willow and says very quietly, Oz. And she looks down and bites her lip. Willow is concerned. We can see it on her face as she looks at Tara. And then she asks Oz when he got in. And Oz says, pretty much now. Xander walks over to Oz and says he hates to sound like grandma, but, quote, you don't call, you don't write, end quote. They shake hands and Oz says, yeah, sorry. I like Xander being the one to break the tension and say what Willow must be thinking. And then Buffy, too, clearly protective of Willow, says, So are you here here or are you just passing through? 
Giles suggests they not bombard Oz with questions right off and offers him tea, much like he did when Buffy came back at the beginning of season three. Oz says no thank you to the tea, but he tells Willow he's hoping they can talk later. Tara looks sideways at Willow as Willow says, I guess so, and she seems distraught. We're now at 10% through the episode, about 4 minutes 32 seconds in. And this is where usually our main plot starts rolling. It's what I think of as the story spark. It's also known as the inciting incident. And here, in a way, it was Oz simply appearing at the door. But it is pivotal that Willow says, I guess so. And Oz says he'll come by Willow's later. She is very quiet when she says, okay. Oz tells them all it's great to see them again and leaves. And Anya now says what everyone's thinking. Everyone's uncomfortable now. Buffy asks if Willow's okay. Willow says, I. And then Tara says, I just, um, I realized I, I'm late for study group. Willow wants her to wait, but Tara says, no, no, it's, it's okay. You, you should be with your friends and, and I should go. And Willow says, but, and Tara leaves. So first example of this dialogue where it means so much between Willow and Tara, there's so much subtext there, but the friends don't see it because they don't know that there is a relationship other than a close friendship. At 5 minutes 25 seconds in, in the graveyard at night, Riley asks about all the tension when Oz walked in, but a demon attacks, interrupting them. Buffy and Riley fight the demon off pretty easily, and Buffy says, it's not fun when they're that easy, and Riley responds, speak for yourself. He calls a retrieval team. And Buffy then tells him that Oz and Willow had a really rough breakup. Oz bailed overnight. Willow was devastated. And before that, they were doing great. Quote, she was totally dealing with Oz being a werewolf. End quote. Riley asks her to back up. He is shocked that Oz is a werewolf and that Willow kept dating him. And he says he didn't think Willow was that kind of girl. And Buffy responds, what kind of girl? Riley says, into dangerous guys. She seems smarter than that. What a fantastic way to both remind the audience or fill in audience members who don't know both how awful the breakup was and that Oz is a werewolf, but it's done through this conflict between Buffy and Riley, which also gets their subplot rolling because they are talking about Oz and Willow, but Buffy is talking about herself and she is worried by Riley's attitude. Because now she tells him Oz isn't dangerous. Something happened to him that was not his fault. And she never knew Riley was such a bigot. He says he was just surprised. And Buffy says, well, love isn't logical, Riley. It's not like you can be Mr. Joe sensible about it all the time. God knows I haven't been. And she stalks off. So more good use of subtext there. At 7 minutes 29 seconds in, Oz is at Willow's room, and he asks her to come outside. It's night. They stand together, and Willow says, this all feels like a dream, like it's not happening. And he tells her it's real. Look up at the sky, and there's a full moon. Willow is shocked and excited for him. She's happy. She asks how he did it and hugs him. 
the way he holds her and Oz's expression, it's all so moving. We see how much he missed her. And then we shift to Willow's face and she looks troubled and steps out of the hug and says, this is, I mean, that's wonderful for you. Oz responds, I talked to Xander and he said you didn't have a new guy. And Willow says, no, no new guy. So much of this dialogue contains clues to how Willow is feeling. And some of them I never picked up on until looking at this so closely for the podcast. I got a first time around or at least second time around the no new guy part. But only now did I see that she says how wonderful for you. And I think the reason this works so well is when Allison Hannigan says it, she doesn't hit the for you hard and she doesn't hit guy hard. She just says it, you know, oh, how wonderful for you. And no, no new guy. And yet when we know the whole story as the audience, we see that these are clues. These are deliberate wording choices by Willow. Oz doesn't get this, no reason he would. He takes her hand, he says he knows what he put her through, and he isn't going to push. So I guess he does get something, but he's reading it as her being apprehensive about a future with him or maybe still traumatized by the breakup. And he says, but I am a different person than when I left, and I can be what you need now. And again, the subtext, he really can't be what she needs now. Willow looks both sad and happy, and Oz goes on, that's what I want, that's why I'm here. At 9 minutes 46 seconds in, we cut to Graham. He's leading the commandos in the woods, and a werewolf, or a demon that looks like one, attacks Quick scene, we go back to Willow and Oz. They're in her room, they're sitting on the bed, but they're still dressed. We pick up in the middle of the conversation, something about Tibet and warlocks. And Willow says, so that's it, you keep your cool and no more wolfie? Oz says there's more herbs and chants. Willow marvels at how he's been all around the world, quote, had this complete mind-body transformation, end quote, and she's just been there in the same old Sunnydale. And Oz says it doesn't mean you haven't gone through a lot. Oz seems genuine here. He seems to mean it. But later he'll admit more or less that he thought she'd just be here waiting for him. So while he's saying she went through a lot, he isn't grasping that Willow has changed and that it wasn't all about him. Willow comments on how it's late now, and they talked all night, and suggests breakfast. Oz takes her hand and says, or we could just sleep a little while. Willow looks at him, and he says, whatever you want. And then one of my favorite Willow lines ever, she says, I'll have the less confusing waffles right now. And Oz responds, breakfast it is. She leaves for the bathroom. Oz waits, looking happy. We're now about 12 and a half minutes in, a little more than one quarter of the way through the episode. And this is where we typically see what I think of as the one quarter twist. It's the first major plot turn, and it should come from outside the protagonist and spin the story in a new direction. It often also raises the stakes. Here it does come from outside of Willow because Tara knocks on the door. She looks a little surprised when Oz answers, and she says she's sorry, she'll come back. 
and she doesn't seem too thrown off. And Oz comments that he saw her at Giles yesterday. And Tara says, yeah, sometimes Willow takes me with her to the Scoobies. And the line works, even if there's nothing romantic between Tara and Willow, because while Tara reads as nervous, she could be just nervous meeting new people. She could be concerned for Willow because she knows Willow's and Oz's history. And this is why this scene works so well, because Oz no doubt senses something going on emotionally, but he doesn't know what it is and he really doesn't have reason to know and the line works either way. Tara leaves, Willow returns, and Oz tells her that her friend stopped by, the blonde, and as he turns his back to put on his jacket, we see Willow's face and she looks distressed thinking about Tara and Oz says, so what do you think? Where do you want to go? And that is the question of the episode. At 13 minutes, 32 seconds in, Riley and Buffy are in bed. It's morning. His alarm goes off. He tries to hold Buffy, but she gets out of bed, ignoring him. So he gets out too and does push-ups. When she asks, he says, no, they're not regulation, just a good way to start the day. And Buffy responds, and then you have your perfectly balanced breakfast, and then you can call your mother. And Riley says, okay, I've been up less than a minute and somehow I've managed to piss you off. I enjoy this because it is so realistic in relationships where one person's angry and maybe they lay there all night churning about it or they wake up and pick up right where they left off and the other person uh, maybe just didn't realize it was such a big thing or had hoped that the morning would make things better. Riley correctly guesses, in a way, that this is about Willow and tells Buffy he said what he did because he was concerned. He doesn't want Willow to get hurt. Buffy starts to tell him it's not as simple as demons bad, people good, that there are creatures, for example, vampires, that aren't evil at all. Riley looks skeptical and tells her to name one, but before she can say more, Forrest comes in, tells Riley the beta team got hit and they lost one man. Graham is injured but walking and they're going on a hunt. Buffy asks what kind of demon and Riley, angry, says, does it matter? And he leaves. So this is a pretty good reason for Buffy not getting the rest of her story out. I've commented in previous episodes how frustrating it is when a character needs to tell someone else something important and there is a very artificial reason they don't get the words out and they don't persist with it when you think any reasonable person would. But here, I find it believable Buffy's a little hesitant about telling Riley about Angel anyway. He made that comment about that kind of girl. At 15 minutes, 44 seconds in, Willow sits alone on her bed. Buffy walks into the dorm room, looking upset, but she says she doesn't want to talk about it when Willow asks. Instead, Buffy asks about Oz, and when Willow says she was with him all night, Buffy realizes it was a full moon, and she says either Willow's about to tell her something incredibly kinky or, but Willow says no kink, Oz didn't change, he found a cure, and she smiles, but it's subdued, and Buffy notices and says, okay, I'm all with the woo-hoo here, and you're not. Willow responds, no, there's woo and, and who, but there's uh-oh and why now? And it's complicated. 
And when Willow says, because of Tara, at first Buffy thinks she means Tara has a crush on Oz. Wonderful expressions on both actresses' faces here. There's so much when Willow says, because of Tara, and when Buffy grasps what Willow's saying, we can almost see her thinking through, wait, Tara didn't even know Oz before. Buffy gets it, and her body language, as much as her words, shows us how surprised she is and a little uncomfortable because Buffy is sitting on the bed and she says, oh, Willow smiles and nods. Buffy opens and shuts her mouth, says, oh, again, and stands. She turns away. She turns back. She says, that's great. Quote, Tara's a really great girl, Will. Willow agrees that Tara is, but Buffy doesn't seem to know what to do with her arms and her hands. She makes lots of gestures as she walks around the bed and talks. She says, well, there you go. I mean, you know, you have to, you have to follow your heart, Will. And she keeps meandering around. She rests her hands on the chest of drawers and tells her that's what's important, Will. Willow asks why Buffy keeps saying, Will, and is she freaked out? And Buffy says, what? No, Will. And then she sighs and she stops moving and says, no. And she sits on the bed again and continues, no, absolutely no to that question. They smile at each other, and Buffy goes on, I'm glad you told me. What did you say to Oz? Willow was going to tell Oz, but they started hanging out, and so much came back to her, and she finishes, he's Oz, you know? And then she says, I don't want to hurt anyone, Buffy. And Buffy sounds very kind as she tells Willow, no matter what, somebody's going to get hurt. The important thing is you have to be honest, or it'll be a lot worse. Willow nods, looking sad, and we cut to Spike. We're 19 minutes in. Spike's lying on his back on top of a coffin. Looks like he's asleep, but when an arm reaches down, Spike blocks it. It is no run-of-the-mill demon. It is Adam. Spike punches him, which does nothing to Adam but hurts Spike's hand. And then he tells Spike to come with him. Spike is going to help Adam, and Adam, in turn, will help Spike. Very quick scene, but it reminds us that Adam is around, that he's a threat, and it personalizes the threat a little more because it is now involving Spike, who does interact with our friends frequently. At 19 minutes 44 seconds in, Willow is at Tara's room and starts to explain about Oz, but Tara says, it's okay. I always knew that if he came back, and Willow says, we were just talking, nothing happened. Tara looks relieved, and Willow tells her that it was intense. Tara reassures her, whatever you know happens, I'll still be here. I'll still be your friend. And Willow responds, of course we'll be friends. That's not even a question. Tara goes on, but I'm saying, I know what Oz means to you. And Willow says, how can you when I'm not even sure? I mean, I know what he meant to me, but he left and everything changed. I changed. Then we, and Tara says, what? And Willow responds, I don't know. I just, life was starting to get so good again. And you're a big part of that. And Willow is crying now, and she goes on that here comes what she wanted most of all, and now she doesn't know what to do. Tara is also nearly sobbing, touches Willow's face, and says, do what makes you happy. They embrace. Tara is looking 
sad for herself, but also comforting Willow. And this is just amazing acting from both of these actors. And we see throughout what a kind person Tara is. She's making this as easy for Willow as she can so that Willow can make her choice. We're almost 22 minutes in, so right about the midpoint of the episode. And here in a strongly structured story, usually we see the protagonist make a major commitment to the quest, throw caution to the wind, or suffer a major reversal, or both. And here in the emotional aspect of our main plot, Willow does make a commitment there. She tells Tara the truth. That nothing happened with Oz, but that she has all these feelings and she doesn't know what to do. Now we get a major reversal in the action aspect of the plot. Today, I have some listener comments and also a personal update on what I've been working on. I am getting the latest QC Davis mystery ready for publication. It's called The Hidden Man, and I'm planning to release toward the end of October, working on my marketing materials and taglines. So here's the current one. He wants his father's killer found, but his secrets kept. She vows to solve the murder no matter what, but will what she doesn't know kill her? You can find out more about that at Lisa Lilly. Dot com slash hidden. I'm also working on edits to the next Buffy and the Art of Story book, which is season two, part two. And I think I said I was working on that last time. Um, I was. The reality is I did have to put it aside as I'm getting the hidden man ready. So I am planning to go back to Buffy. I want to get it out in time for the holiday rush in case you have Buffy fans on your holiday list. And I have heard that print books are taking much longer to get delivered. So ordering early is a really good idea. Finally, uh, I am putting together an online course, How to Plot Your Novel from Idea to First Draft. Can't promise when that will be ready, but I'm also hoping to get that out in time for people to get it for themselves for the holiday or for a writer friend. So let's go to listener comments. The first is from Roberta Lip of the They Coined It podcast about where the wild things are. Both comments are about where the wild things are. And Roberta says, the truth is, I get more out of the podcast episodes where Lisa breaks down why an episode of Buffy was unsuccessful. And season four is overflowing with just such opportunities. And then from PM Ray on Twitter, I have way too much fun listening to you politely eviscerate the mediocre episodes. It's also a great learning experience to contrast your same style of analysis for the well-written ones so we see the gaps. So two things on those comments. Um, one is, I agree. I learn more from the episodes where things aren't quite landing because it is always so much easier to see that type of thing in someone else's writing than in your own. So I, I feel like I learn a lot. Also, because Buffy is so amazing, as Ray points out, I find it really educational to compare 
even what I would call the worst Buffy episodes or my least favorite Buffy episodes, there's still so many things that are well written there. And that too makes the things that don't work really stand out, making it easier to learn from them. And then my other comment is entirely about PM Bray's uh, use of politely eviscerating. I thought that was so funny because it never occurred to me before, but basically as a lawyer and litigator, that is my litigation style. I strive to always be civil and always be polite, but at the same time, if there is something the other side has argued that isn't supported, that doesn't fit the facts, I am going to point it out and make it as clear as I possibly can. So I, I love that. I, I feel like I'd love to put that on my webpage, politely eviscerating. Thank you, PM Ray, and thank you, Roberta. If you would like to comment on any of the Buffy episodes or Buffy in the Art of Story, you can do so at lisalilly.com. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y.com slash Buffy Story, or on the YouTube channel where I also post the podcast. On Twitter, I'm at Lisa M as in Marie Lily, so it's Lisa M Lily, or on the Facebook Buffy and the Art of Story page. At 22 minutes, one second in, Oz looks at a billboard on campus. He sniffs, turns, and says, Willow, but it's Tara who is walking by. Tara notices his UC Sunnydale folder and asks if he's coming back to school. Oz tells her he is, and he's feeling oddly motivated. Tara's dialogue here, too, is so amazing for what she doesn't explicitly say, but she says by avoiding it. So at first she smiles. She says that's great, but says great for him and Willow. And she looks genuine, but also upset to someone who's observant, as Oz is, because he says, I hope so. And he's looking closely at Tara's face. And Tara says, good, that's because, and Oz says, is that her sweater? And Tara continues, I just, I hope that you guys will be very happy. She's speaking very quietly, and she looks down as she says it, and Oz steps closer and says, you smell like her. She's all over you. Do you know that? He's growing angry. Tara is still looking down, and when Tara says she can't talk about it, he grabs her arm and says, but there's something to talk about? Are you two involved? And Tara says, I have, I have, I have to go. Oz says Willow never told him anything like that, and they talked all night. Tara starts to walk off, and he yells for Oz, stop. And Oz now says, is she in love with you? And he grabs her by both arms and says, tell me, is she? And he's breathing hard, and he looks down. Tara does too, and Oz's hand becomes a wolf hand. And Oz now has face hair, and he says, run. Oz, as the wolf, chases Tara into a classroom. She flings a chair at him, and he drops to the floor. And I remember on first watch, and sometimes on rewatches, I'm always drawn out of the story because I think there is no way that chair stopped him, and Tara doesn't have the force to throw it that hard. And then we see that's not what stopped him. The commandos came in off screen and shot him with a dart. Sometimes this kind of, um, it's a little bit of a twist, 
a little bit of a misdirect. We think the chair stops him and then it's the dart. Sometimes that works well in a story. It's fun. It's a nice twist. For me here, it doesn't work because it draws me out of the story. And I think it draws me out because one, while we are sort of in Tara's point of view, we're not as deeply rooted in it as in a novel. So if it were a novel, Tara might throw the chair and simultaneously be relieved that Oz dropped, but think what we as the audience are thinking, like, I can't believe that stopped him. But since we don't get that, we as the audience are thinking it and adding to what draws me out is sometimes on Buffy suddenly... For example, uh, Annette stops Angel when normally he can fight off, you know, 10 vampires at a time. So I'm thinking, oh, really? This is all it takes to stop Oz? So by the time I find out, oh, it was an initiative dart, I have to purposely bring myself back into the story. And generally, you you don't want things that are going to pull your viewers out. However, there might be viewers who really enjoy that moment. Riley and Forrest are there with other military guys, and they say it might be one of the demons that attacked the other night, and if so, they'll put it down. Tara protests that they don't understand that's a, and she starts to say person, but Forrest cuts her off, tells her she's in shock, they know what they're doing, they'll handle it. And they cart Oz away as she shakes her head and says no. I mostly buy that Tara can't stop them. I mean, she definitely can't. There's four of them and one of her. Forrest makes it really clear they're not going to listen to her. So it makes sense to me that instead she is going to go find Willow. We cut to Spike and Adam, and Spike says, that sounds like a lot of fun. We don't know exactly what he's talking about or responding to, but Adam explains his problem. He can't totally annihilate the humans. He needs heavy casualties on both sides. Spike is unsure how the Slayer fits in, but Adam tells him the humans need a champion, and that can be the Slayer. And Spike says, yeah, the thing about the Slayer is she is a whiny little thing. But when it comes to the fighting, she does have a slight tendency to win. And Adam responds, then I guess you should be on her side. When Spike asks if his chip will really come out if this all goes down, no tricks, Adam says, Scout's honor. And Spike says, you were a Boy Scout? And Adam very seriously responds, parts of me. At 25 minutes, 20 seconds in, Tara finds Willow in the library, and we get more of Tara being a wonderful person. She tells Willow that Oz changed in front of her. Willow asks if Tara's all right, and Tara assures her she is fine, but the commandos took Oz, and they don't know that he's Oz. And while Tara is telling us something we've already seen, which usually, as a writer, I would avoid, in this case, I feel like it really works. It's not repetitive because what this scene is really about is the interaction between Tara and Willow, that Tara is so concerned for Oz, she goes right to Willow, that Willow immediately asks how Tara is, and that Tara is not upset when Willow thanks her and says, I gotta go get Buffy, and Tara is saying, of course, go go save Oz. At 26 minutes, five seconds in, we're at Giles' apartment, Anya says, it's good that they just took Oz. They probably haven't had time to eviscerate him yet. Buffy's dialing a phone in the background but throws it down in frustration as Giles comments on the challenge of infiltrating the initiative. 
Xander somewhat sarcastically says it'd be great if they knew someone dating a guy on the inside, but Buffy tells him Riley's not answering his pages. She left another message, but they'll need to make a plan without him. This is a great example of how the Buffy and Riley subplot weaves in so well with our main plot here because rather than being a complete sideline, it gives a reason, a good reason, why Riley might be ignoring Buffy's calls. So we don't have to have some other artificial reason for her not to be able to reach Riley. So this is what I mean partly about the nesting dolls of subplots because the Oz-Willow storyline sets off the Buffy-Riley conflict, which in turn interweaves and gives a reason for something to happen in the Oz action plot. At 26 minutes, 33 seconds in, Oz is in a cage. He's the werewolf here in that aluminum foil pit inside the initiative. A white-coated doctor isn't sure if this is the demon that attacked and killed one of the commandos. The description matches 40 known varieties, and he's checking DNA. Riley, though, is impatient. He wants to just kill the wolf, and he says, I don't need a bunch of tests to know that this thing's a killer. He pulls his gun. He points it at the wolf, who then morphs into Oz, who is naked and shivering. We close up on his eyes. There's a bright white flash, and we cut to Oz's point of view as he's lying on a gurney. Uh, Everything's a little blurry. There are white-coated doctors shining light in his eyes. And Riley is trying to talk to Oz, and then he says he doesn't know why the doctor's still working on Oz, that he isn't a threat, he's a student. But the doctor tells Riley only the colonel can stop the testing. And when Riley won't back off, he has him escorted out. The doctor team shocks Oz repeatedly, watching him turn from human to wolf to human. They say how the whole full moon thing was just campfire talk. It's negative stimuli that causes the change. We cut to the gang. Buffy and Xander plan to go into the initiative. Willow insists on joining them. She just can't sit there to one side while Oz is in trouble. She'll give Giles instructions on how to shut down the initiative's power grid. Buffy's clearance is gone. She says they'll have to grab some initiative guy and make them take them in. But at that moment, Spike strolls in, tells them they can use a back way. He also tells Giles he ought to lock his door. Someone dangerous could get in. And Buffy says, or someone formerly dangerous and currently annoying. I love this line. One, it's just a fun line, but it also has layers because, yeah, she's goading Spike. She's tweaking him for no longer being able to attack. And yet she doesn't know that Spike is dangerous. She doesn't suspect that he is carrying out Adam's plot. They all figure Spike is just looking for cash. Spike tells them he knows the initiative got Oz. Bad news travels fast among demons. They all like a good laugh, but he'll help. He needs the money, and he likes to tweak the commandos, since after all, they held him hostage, and he knows how to find the big guy who can take them to Oz. So another example of a subplot, or really more of a late-season subplot with 
Adam that at first feels a little bit like it's there just to remind us that Adam's around or maybe to set off something for future episodes, but it ends up intersecting so beautifully here because this makes it easy for Buffy and her friends to get into the initiative. And normally making things easy for the characters at this stage wouldn't be a great idea because we want it to be hard. We want them to overcome obstacles. But in this case, it works so well because it's not just a piece of good luck. It is a plot by Adam. So while in the moment, it's making things easier for Buffy, we know in the long run, it is probably a very bad thing. At 29 minutes, 53 seconds in, Oz huddles naked and bruised in the corner of one of those white-walled cells with a glass front. Riley opens the cell and brings Oz close. He leads him out until the commandos, led by Forrest, stop them. We cut to Riley in a cell now. It's not the same type. It's one with bars on it. So he's not with the hostels. But the colonel comes to see him and says he looked at Riley's file until recently he was an exemplary soldier. But then he met this girl, this slayer, and suddenly showed signs of being disloyal. And tonight he went so far as to release a lethal HST into the population. He yells at Riley when Riley tries to explain about Oz and says he'll institute a court-martial tomorrow to investigate Riley's involvement with the, quote, slayer and her band of freaks, close quote. The colonel tells him that they're anarchists, two backwards for the real world, and Riley can save his military career if he helps the initiative take them down. Otherwise, he'll go to his grave labeled as a traitor, and he concludes, no woman's worth that, and leaves. It's interesting that the colonel puts this on Buffy. He assumes Riley's not making any decision of his own, any sort of analysis or taking any moral inventory of his own. And yet Riley rejected Buffy's gray area view of good and evil demons and humans all along. And only now, because of what the initiative is doing, is he questioning it. So now we are about three quarters through the episode, and this is where we usually see the last major plot turn. It should grow out of the midpoint and take the plot in yet another new direction. So here we had that for Riley's uh, subplot in that trying to take Oz out was a sort of midpoint for Riley, a commitment. And then we quickly had this major turn where he's caught and he's being threatened with court-martial and being labeled a traitor. So with subplots, we often see the same major plot turns. They may just come at different points throughout the story. So you could have that where you have that commitment and then another major turn right away. It's another example of how well the subplot is integrated because we're also going to see now the major turn in the action plot about Oz because in the woods, Spike leads the group to these hidden doors and they get into the initiative. We cut between Giles giving Anya instructions to type into the computer and Adam typing in as well. And we get the sense that he is the one who really shuts the electrical grid down, though Anya thinks she has done it. The lights go out 
on Buffy and her friends inside the initiative and also on Giles and Anya inside his apartment. And Anya holds up her hand and says, slap my hand now. And Giles says, beg your pardon? Anya responds, in celebration. Giles says, oh, yes. He slaps her hand and Anya says, oh, I love this moment. It's very fun. It's a good way to show the power is out everywhere and give us a little bit of fun minor conflict. At 33 minutes 48 seconds in, Buffy bursts into the colonel's bedroom, wakes him up, points her crossbow at him and says, take us to him. She's puzzled when the colonel says Finn stays in the brig and that helping an HST escape is a court-martial offense. And then he's surprised they don't know anything about what Riley did. They came for the wolf. And Xander says, guess we're two for one. We cut to Buffy knocking out a guard, stealing a pass, and opening Riley's cell. Riley says, Buffy, I leave now. I can't ever come back. And she just looks at him waiting, and he says, I just wanted to hear that out loud. If you find the story structure I talk about in the podcast helpful and would like to apply it to your own fiction, you can download a free story structure template at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. So I want to take a second to talk about who's the protagonist of the Buffy and Riley plot. As I analyzed it, I realized that there are two subplots here. So for the protagonist, I look at three factors. Is the protagonist actively pursuing a goal, the main point of view character, and does the protagonist have the most at stake? If it's yes to all three, we've got a clear protagonist. So the active goal question is a little fuzzy for both. Buffy wants Riley to understand about demons and humans and feel comfortable so she can share her past with Angel with him. Riley doesn't really have an active goal before he decides to help Oz, though he does have a bit of one, which is he does want to resolve the conflict with Buffy and between Buffy's view and the initiative's view of demons because this is becoming more and more of a problem. I don't know how actively he pursues that in the beginning, which is what made me at first think, okay, clearly Buffy is the protagonist. Then we go to point of view. In the beginning, it is all Buffy. Buffy in the conversation with Riley, in the graveyard, upset at his comments about Willow, and then Buffy in Riley's room irked at him. But then we do get a lot of Riley's point of view once we shift inside the initiative, what he sees the initiative do to Oz and his choices there. When we get to who has the most at stake, at least in this episode, I feel like it is Riley, his whole career, his whole path in life. He has been the good soldier. He has believed in the military. He rarely asks questions, even after 
finding out what he did about Professor Walsh. And now he is being threatened with being court-martialed and labeled a traitor. But Buffy also has at stake her relationship with Riley, which has meant so much to her in this season. So in the end, I think there are two nested subplots here. There's Riley, a very strong subplot where he resolves where he stands between Buffy's approach to demons and fighting and the supernatural and the initiative's black and white rules and he chooses the way he wants to go. He doesn't like it, but he does. And I really think it is more about who Riley is and what his values are. Yes, he wants to be with Buffy, but that is not why he makes that choice. And then we have Buffy's subplot, which we will resolve at the end about whether she can be honest with Riley and share with Riley. And obviously, those two very interrelated. At 34 minutes, 53 seconds in, the commandos block Buffy's way outside Oz's cell, and then more commandos come up behind her. But she has a crossbow to their colonel's head, tells them to stay back, quote, or I'll pull a William Burroughs on your leader here, close quote. And Xander says, you'll bore him to death with free prose. And Buffy responds, was I the only one awake in English that day? I'll kill him. I have to admit, I vaguely knew who William Burroughs is, and I I figured before Buffy explained it that she was saying she would kill him. For the podcast, I did look it up. According to Wikipedia in 1951, Burroughs killed his common-law wife. He later claimed, and shortly after that denied, that he killed her in a drunken attempt at playing William Tell, which uh, William Tell used to shoot apples. I believe it was off his kids' heads. And I thought that was a really interesting reference since we saw Jonathan playing William Tell in Superstar and shooting apples off those soldiers' heads. I also love that Buffy uses a lot of these literary references, and it sort of fits with how in high school she was not doing great in school because she wasn't there a lot because of being the slayer or she couldn't study. But we also knew from her science teacher that she was very smart and she aced the SATs. The colonel nods at the troops to let Oz out. Oz exits the cage, but when Willow approaches, he cringes and tells her to get back because his hand starts to change into the wolf. Willow backs away. Oz takes a deep breath, and the hand returns to human. They both look devastated. Riley helps Oz walk out as Buffy keeps the crossbow on the colonel. This part feels like the three-quarter turn for Willow's emotional arc that arises from the midpoint reversal, both her emotional uh, choice or her plot where she tells Tara the truth and Oz finding out about her and Tara. And this is a turn that comes from that because Willow realizes that Oz's feelings about her trigger this change, but she also sees he can control it. At 35 minutes, 47 seconds in, Riley exits the elevator with Buffy. They leave the colonel inside the elevator but disable it, and the colonel tells Riley he's a dead man. Riley responds, no, sir, I'm an anarchist, and he punches the colonel who drops to the ground. So this is one of the few things in the episode that I find jarring. 
I am not sure why we have these anarchy references. The colonel referenced it. I understand why he sees Buffy that way, but I don't know why this is Riley's response. And I know generally anarchy means lawlessness. I looked up merriamwebster.com to get a more specific definition, and it gives a few. One is the absence of government. Another is a state of lawlessness or political disorder due to the absence of governmental authority. A utopian society of individuals who enjoy complete freedom without government or the absence or denial of any authority or established order. So, of course, the colonel would see it that way. But I don't know if this show is saying that Buffy's an anarchist because Buffy, uh, she doesn't exactly reject the human world laws or order. In fact, mostly we see her follow them when it involves humans. Generally, she's pretty strong about that is for the human world to decide. It is not up to her to catch robbers or when she thought Ted was human to kill Ted even though he threatened her. And when it comes to the supernatural world, sure, she turned her back on the council, but she mostly does what she's supposed to do. I mean, she could just quit being the slayer. And she doesn't because order actually is important to Buffy. So I'm I'm not sure why we have this other than perhaps Riley is still seeing black and white. It's either the military or anarchy. So despite that he has had this arc and made this choice, maybe this shows how lost Riley really is because he doesn't know what to put in place of the military. In the next scene, Buffy and Riley lay out a sleeping bag for him in a burnt out building underground. I think it is underneath the high school, maybe, the burnt-out high school. And they talk about how the group split up. They're too findable in a big clump, so they're assuming the initiative will come after all of them. Riley, though, thinks it's mostly him that they want, and he'll figure out his next move tomorrow. Buffy comments that it was quite a day for him. He woke up to a big bowl of Wheaties, and now he's a fugitive. Riley's sorry it played out that way, but glad to finally know where he stands. And he says he was wrong about Oz. Buffy tells him he wasn't being a bigot. She says, you were thrown. You found out that Willow was in kind of an unconventional relationship, and it gave you a momentary Wiggins. It happens. But Riley says he was in a totally black and white space, and it's not like that, especially when it comes to love. So now Buffy says she has to tell him some stuff about her past, and it's not all stuff he's going to like. Riley responds, you can tell me anything. And Buffy says, I think so. I think I can. I'm not sure that the climax of this episode is completely clear. And I find that interesting because I am so into structure. And normally, if any of those major plot turns are fuzzy, the story doesn't work for me. But here, the emotional resonance is so strong Ultimately, it is the emotional aspect of the plot that is most important here. So I think we are still getting to the climax. We had a climax of the Oz action plot when Oz got out of the initiative, but we have not reached the climax of the plot involving him and Willow and their relationship. For the Riley subplot, we definitely had a climax with him punching out the colonel. Although I suppose you could see that as the falling action, the fallout of Riley's choice, because 
it might be it was more so when he stepped out of that cell. He left the initiative and saying he's an anarchist is just the falling action, the tying up of loose ends from that. But it is a more clear, dramatic moment when he punches the colonel. Then we really get for Oz's uh, action plot, the werewolf plot, because he doesn't so much act as is led out. And the scene that is the climax for the emotional plot, where Willow is the protagonist, it is really Willow's plot, the climax of her plot is also the falling action of the Oz werewolf plot. At 38 minutes, 15 seconds in, Oz and Willow sit in Oz's van. It's night. They talk quietly. Oz then says he shouldn't have come back, but he thought he'd changed. And Willow says he did and goes on, you stopped the wolf from coming out. I saw it. And Oz responds, but I couldn't look at you. And even as he speaks, he's only glancing at her sideways. He's mainly staring straight ahead through the windshield. And he goes on, I mean, it turns out the one thing that brings it out of me is you, which falls into the heading of ironic in my book. And Willow says, it was my fault. I upset you. Now Oz does look straight at her and says, well, so we're safe then. And he gives a half smile and goes on, because you'll never do that again. But you're happy? I love this callback to Beauty and the Beasts and the metaphor of abusive relationships we had there with Debbie and Pete and a little bit of Buffy and Angel when Angel came back and a connection to Oz. He also turns to the werewolf at that time and is a threat to Willow. And Oz recognizes they both do that you can't have a good relationship where one person is supposed to tiptoe around the other for fear of making that person angry and violent. Willow, her eyes are brimming with tears, but she's smiling, says she is happy. And she tells him she missed him. She wrote so many letters, but had no place to send them, and she couldn't live like that. And Oz says it was stupid to think she'd be there waiting. And Willow says, I was waiting. I feel like some part of me will always be waiting for you. Like, if I'm old and blue-haired, and I turn the corner in Istanbul, and there you are, I won't be surprised. This line always makes me cry. It's so real in that uh, I have had those relationships where I love the person so much, but it does not work out for us to be together. But there is a small part of me that feels like there's some alternate universe where that did work, or like Willow says, that at some point we cross paths again, it will feel like I was always waiting for that. Oz understands, but he guesses now is not that time, and it's better to take off. And Willow says, when? And he says, pretty much now. She nods, she's crying now, and they hug. So that tied up that loose end of where will Oz go next. I do want to comment on, for a protagonist, which is here Willow in the main plot, Choice is very important, and normally we don't want to take choices away, especially at the end, from the protagonist. And as I was breaking this down, it troubled me a little because in a way, because Willow is still a trigger for Oz, it almost makes it seem like, well, Willow couldn't choose to be with Oz. That obviously isn't why she makes the choice she does, because she chooses Tara regardless. Tara is who she wants to be with and who she loves. 
But I also think that moment where we see Oz take a breath, turn his hand back to human, despite that he can't look at Willow, is what keeps it from being anticlimactic such that we're like, well, she couldn't be with Oz anyway, because there is at least that possibility that he could learn to control it even around Willow. He would need to do something else or work at it, but he could. And I feel like that's why this doesn't take the option away from Willow. Also, probably that was a strategic choice. The show wanted to leave some opening where perhaps Oz could come back. I also love the bookend of Oz saying pretty much now, which is what he said in the beginning about when he got to town. Now we are in the final falling action section which is for Tara's subplot, which I haven't even talked about yet, is the climax of it. And it's it's a very subtle subplot, another sort of nesting doll, because Tara does have a plot here. We start with Tara wanting her room to be Willow friendly. Tara finally is meeting Willow's friends after commenting before on how she knows about them and they don't know about her. Then Oz appears, something from outside of her that spins the story. And Tara makes choices throughout to be as loving and caring and supportive as she can even though she knows she may lose Willow. And now the climax, Willow chooses Tara. So that is the climax for her story. And again, woven so beautifully through all of this. And it's part of what makes it so powerful because we also feel for Tara. Willow comes to Tara's door. She has a lit pillar candle. The power is still out. Willow gives Tara the lit candle. Tara is looking so sad. She clearly thinks Willow has come to say goodbye. And she says, she understands, you have to be with the person you love. And Willow says, I am. And goes on to say she feels horrible about what she put Tara through. And she is going to make it up to her starting right now. Tara, looking so happy, says, right now? And Willow nods and Tara blows out the candle. And that is the end of the episode. Another word on Tara and Willow's relationship when the show aired. I am not sure when I realized they had a romantic relationship. And I was talking with Roberta Lip, the co-host of the Mad Men podcast, They Coined It, about exactly this. And I said, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't think I got it until around when Buffy got it. Maybe maybe a few scenes before that, and I feel like I ought to have picked up on it. And Roberta pointed out that a lot of people didn't get it because we don't see their first kiss. And with the other characters, that's huge. With Oz and Willow, there's the scene where they're in the van. She's hoping he'll kiss her, and he doesn't because she still has those feelings about Xander. The episode phases where Oz is turned into a werewolf The emotional plot there is all about Willow being frustrated because things aren't moving forward. Oz has not kissed her. And I think it can't be a mistake that in the episode where he's a werewolf is their first kiss. And now the episode where he leaves and Willow chooses to be with Tara instead is one where we first 
get the explicit recognition of Tara's and Willow's romantic relationship, though we don't see a kiss. Cordelia and Xander, their first kiss is in Buffy's basement. There's epic romantic music. And even though the friends don't know about Cordy and Xander, we see them making out in the broom closet all the time. Buffy's first kiss with angel he turns into a vampire that's a whole dramatic story and of course the first time they have sex is an epic story i could go on and on but it made me feel a little better when roberta pointed out that yeah with all the other main characters romantic relationships we see them develop on screen we go through it with them and here it is all through suggestion and metaphor. And in some ways, this is very powerful because when Buffy doesn't see this about Willow, we understand that more. And also when we as an audience realize what's happening, the emotions are intensified because the groundwork has been laid so well, but we only make it explicit when Willow is faced with this difficult choice. She gets exactly what she wanted, Oz coming back. Back, and that's when she tells Buffy about Tara. It's when she herself acknowledges, or at least it's the first time we see her acknowledge her deep feelings for Tara and that they present a conflict with her feelings for Oz. I also think it's the nature of television at the time. This was groundbreaking to show this relationship, and I I don't know the backstory of it, but I have to think that building it in so gradually and almost having it there but not there was a way to weave it into the show so that by the time it became explicit, it would be so hard for the network to say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Where if the show was more obvious earlier, maybe this relationship would have never gotten on screen. Other than foreshadowing and spoilers, that is all I have for the episode. If you're not sticking around for spoilers, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll come back in two weeks for the Yoko Factor, where Adam and Spike collude and cause our friends all kinds of trouble. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. Adam's offer to remove Spike's chip. This starts the subplot that runs through the next two episodes as Spike keeps aiding Adam in the hope that he'll be restored to himself. It did cross my mind that it might have worked better for the season if Spike were working with Adam sooner because we don't have much where Adam interacts with any of the Scoobies directly. And having Spike involved would create a greater connection, but you would need you would need more to that plot. So I'm not sure how you would do that. The part where Riley says, you can tell me anything, and Buffy says, I think so, I think I can. In the next episode, we'll learn that Buffy doesn't tell him everything. So I'm guessing that I think I can was meant to hint at that because he'll be very surprised when Xander fills in the blanks and tells him that having sex with Buffy is what caused Angel to lose his soul. This moment when Riley says, Buffy... I leave now and I can't ever come back when he's standing in that cell. That reverberates all the way through season six. 
Riley's struggle to find a purpose. There's a scene where I think it's Graham says something like, you used to have a mission. What are you now, mission's girlfriend? And I feel like that encapsulates a lot of Riley's issues within the relationship with Buffy and for himself is he never quite confronts that or maybe it's more accurate to say the show doesn't give him room to confront that and that's another thing I was talking about with Roberta Lip who pointed out that the show never deals with everything Riley is going through on this front yes we get single episodes where he grapples with some of it but we don't seem to take it that seriously or devote much time to it and part of it is it's Buffy's show not Riley's show but her other friends do get time within the show to deal with serious issues and with Riley it almost feels to me, and we'll see as I go through season five, that it's more that Riley is a convenient source of conflict or that the writers had mixed feelings. Some of them wanted it to work out. Some didn't see why it couldn't. And so there never was a definitive, hey, what is Riley's role going to be? How is Riley going to deal with not being in the military anymore, yet still being of that mindset, still wanting to serve, but not knowing how to do that? So that is it for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you will return in two weeks for The Yoko Factor, which is part one of a two-part finale, despite that there is yet another episode after that. So Primeval, which comes after The Yoko Factor, is really the finale of season four, and then there is Restless, which is sort of a coda to the season. Remember, you can find the show notes and back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story. You can find the book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. And if you like supernatural thrillers or female private eye mysteries with smart, determined female protagonists, you can check out the first in each of my series free at lisalilly.com slash free. 